0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am here today with Samuel F. Reynolds, who is an astrologer. I am a huge fan of his work. Um, he has been practicing for over 25 years and has a very interesting way of talking about astrology, which is that he, at first, was a huge skeptic. And I love that because I think that obviously there are so many people, not our listeners. People who listen to this podcast are not – I would say they're not on the fence about whether or not they fuck with astrology. But who knows? There might be somebody in the car with them who's like, I don't know about this. So I think that that perspective of thinking about how does one who was – who who identified as a skeptic ends up becoming an astrologer themselves is really curious. And then I realized, as I'm saying this now, that I did not do my due diligence in our pre-interview. I don't know what your sun, moon and rising are. Huge mistake on my part. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us and then also giving us a little bit of background as to how a skeptic ended up becoming an astrologer.
1: Sure. So I am a sun in Scorpio moon in leo and pisces rising what's yours
0: oh i love it i am a sun in leo Ta-da! i am a capricorn rising yes <laughs> i'm a capricorn rising and a. Pisces oh, okay moon.
1: so we have okay
0: yeah so we have some similar placements yeah i w- I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that leo pisces
1: connection because oh yeah i mean why don't we start here and then i'll go into the, the skeptic stuff because i mean that's that's really interesting. Perfect, I think that perfect, perfect Pisces vibe. <laughs> the Leo really helps the Pisces. And what I mean by that, in, in very simple things, um, let's talk about like, you know, business, you know, astro business on Twitter. So, you know, I've kind of illustrated this a few times. The Pisces might, you know, somebody might contact me and say, like, oh, you know, like this is happening in my chart. You know, what do you think? And the Pisces goes, Like, Oh, like, okay. Let me let's look at your chart, blah blah blah. The Leo's kind of steps forward, the Leo moon and kinda of roars in like, What are you doing? I'm looking at this person's chart because of this is but why? Because blah 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 what's what's that got to do with you? Like like this what is this person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like okay, you're leading from the heart, you're leading from your compassion, which is great, but if you keep doing that, like What's that? What's that going to translate in terms of like the leverage for the work you're able to do and do able to to be able to take care of other people? Take care of yourself, you know. Well, I I,
0: I agree completely. I think that when I was younger, um, and I would just read about my sun sign horoscope as Leo, there were certainly a, a you know a, a huge majority of things that I identified with in term in terms of those Leo archetypes but it didn't explain the whole other side of me that was especially when you're a kid you're so lunar um which was my pisces hypersensitive i would never um have somebody i would never like try to crowd somebody out and steal someone's spotlight i would be too sensitive to do that you know i'm not like somebody who's like, so solar only, there was a whole other dimension that I didn't have the language for of who I was. That was also why I was, I would cry all the time. I was so sensitive. I was so emphatic. I was so like otherworldly. And it was only through astrology that I was like, Oh, it's a Leo Pisces connection. It's two of these things working together. And I like to think of the imagery of how you know when we have the sun over the ocean some you know leo pisces ocean the the reflection of the sun can shine even brighter you know like we have that incredible radiance when the sun is cast over the ocean but of course there's also the idea of the sun sort of falling into the pit of that Pisces deep dark murkiness and then losing its illumination because of that Pisces and for me I feel like it really is this balance of making sure that they're using each other as reflective surfaces as opposed to submerging one, That's beautifully one said.
1: yeah so yeah that's kind of the dynamic that um I don't know if I've had maybe earlier in my life meaning um probably the first 10 or 11 years of my life, I think I was drowning in my emotions and, you know, anger and all these other things. And I think I was able to kind of step out of that that Piscean mire in some sense. Maybe it wasn't even fully Piscean. Maybe it was more Scorpio. (laughs) Um, um, Because I think we grow more into our rising signs. Um, I think, especially after the Saturn return, I think we, I don't think I was always, as in touch with my compassion in that way or empathy in the same way. I think I um, had moments of it, but it was more so after my Saturn return and then doing this work that has definitely broadened my empathy, which I guess leads me to your question, which is like, how did I get into it? Well, you know, blame a Gemini. I, I mean, easy, no problem. <laughs> right, I blame a Gemini. I had a crush on... You know, and we have to. You know, a lot of people, to my amazement, really don't like um, or talk about not liking Gemini's, but I've I've loved them. You know, as far for as far as I can remember, and there was one particular older woman I had a crush on who was wise enough not to kind of completely shut me down, but friended me, right? Who was into astrology and I was into academia, so some measure about my past i went into the ministry the christian ministry at 12 years old i felt a calling to whoa i felt a calling so i was anti astrology because of religious reasons for a good 8 years or so and then when i had my falling out with the church and then christianity and god it was more intellectual academic reasons i think the deeper reasoning that i can reflect on now or as more an older adult was that, you know, I'm born on November 22nd, so I was on the putative cusp. So whenever I would read about astrology, I was always confused, which leads me back to the Gemini. Because, you know, we would have these conversations and she would be like, yeah, I think you're a Scorpio. And I think, like, I would say to her, if I had to choose between being the arachnid or the centaur, I'm clearly a centaur, right? So <laughs> I... um. You know, we would go back and forth about it every now and again. Then I would just kind of shut it down because I thought, you know, astrology was just complete hooey. I think a set of circumstances that are kind of bizarre in of themselves. I met an astrologer. He offered to do my chart. And for me, it was an opportunity to shut up a Gemini, right? And it, Well, you know, just to shut my friend up and, you know, for her to see, like, well, I'm the centaur. Um, went to the astrologer and discovered that i was indeed a scorpio 29 degrees 45 minutes of scorpio and wow. and then for the first 15 minutes of the session he really didn't say anything that was profound or beyond guesswork i thought it was more just like cold reading in the sense you know things like you know i, I know you haven't met me in person but i'm sure it really was like looks like you had some you know physical difficulties, your mom has some physical difficulties right carrying him, I'm like, yeah, I'm four feet eleven. That's abnormal for most people. And at the time maybe I was even four foot nine or eight. I was like, Yeah, this is you know, that's statistically unlikely anyway. Um you know, he said things like that and I was just like, okay, yeah, well oh, what can you tell me something else? I didn't say that, but I was like thinking then he did. He started talking about dynamics related to my mother and my father and perhaps a sibling like my brother. Um, in utero. Um, and he said, like, there's something that happened there. Maybe your brother said something and it caused some disruption. And that is exactly what happened. Um, and I was like, how do you know that? <laughs> That's when I did break the fourth wall, you know, revealing I was a Scorpio. Like, basically, how do you know my secrets? How do you know that? right yeah for sure and
0: <laughs> yeah and that that defined it once and for all that you are a scorpio and not a sad and yeah. he got all
1: you know and he was like no it's right here you're looking and i was like he, he was pointing to these squiggly lines because he did this big massive chart for me which i still have to this day and i was just like okay i don't even know how this works what this is um so this is some kind of trick so at least i spent 10 years uh, after that, at that particular point, I was 23. I spent 10 years trying to unravel his
0: And what what did you, did you find what he was looking well, at?
1: Yeah, but, you know, what's fascinating is two things. So in terms of how I unraveled, I because I was in academia, I felt an intellectual responsibility to learn astrology and to do it myself. I wasn't, it's interesting to kind of confront skeptics, you know, now or and over time. People kind of rely on other people's data. I think it may have been because I also was in African-American studies. I was pursuing my PhD in African-American studies. So I had an inherent distrust for other people's scholarship. So I decided to do more of my own. Which isn't a bad thing. Right. I think think it's the thing that most should do. I would say to skeptics, I'm like, have you studied it for yourself? Right. Because if you're just relying on, you know, this study or what this person says then you're not doing your own due diligence and critical search right and critical thinking you're just kind of mimicking what someone else has said so even though they're a venerated scientist whatever so i i did that looking at charts and to my amazement as i would be talking to my friends they would be like that's so spot on how do you know that and i'm like well i read it in this book and then this kind of inferred from the parameters that this book has kind of set up for looking at things and wow okay and I kept doing that until I was at a party talking to a skeptic and going back and forth about it and he said well you don't really believe it do you and I was like yeah I I do and that was a moment you know it was 10 years later where I had like I guess I've turned a corner I think like this is something that is important to me that I've find is valid
0: yeah it's interesting you should say that because i feel like that was also a big turning point for me and my with my relationship with astrology i came into astrology as well you know it's it's a whole sort of there's it begs a lot of questions how i came into astrology but what i thought when i first started coming into it was astrology is an amazing you know people love it it's there it has like a a seasoned history of being able, of people being fascinated by it. horoscopes have been in newspapers for, you know, 80 plus years at that time. It was 1930, you know, it was, they started in 1930. Um, why does an astrology dating app exist? So I came into it thinking like, what an opportunity. And for the first few years of, you know, that's how I met a lot of astrologers as I was um, hiring them to write content for this app that I was creating. I myself wasn't the astrologer. And it was almost like I was creating this wall between um, the product, align line that I was building, and then my own philosophy on it. And I would go into these meetings with these like obnoxious venture capitalists, and they'd be like, well, you don't really believe it. And at first, you know, the language around it was like, that doesn't matter. You know, like, it's, it's, it's interesting. And then there was I did have a similar sort of like, I call it a come to Jupiter point. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was when somebody said that exact line to me, they're like, well, you don't believe it. And I'm like, I do. I do believe it, because it keeps working. And it it's, and it's something. It's something, something is happening. And I don't know if I have the language to explain that yet, but I know that something is happening with this. And there was so much liberation in that. Finally, just being able to be like, fuck this. I'm not worried about trying to appease these people who are not, are, are, are approaching this with this closed-minded rigidity. Um, there's some things very special about this work, and I wouldn't be pursuing it if I didn't take it seriously, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I didn't know that story. I knew some of it, the elements of it, but that's, like, very powerful. Yeah, I mean, that's a a similar turning point, and then that's when I think, you know, I started, well, not when I think, but I, I started Thinking more on how to make a career of it, or if there is such a thing. Um, One other big turning point related to becoming an astrologer and going through the certification process was I had been at that point studying for 10 years and getting various books. And I came across a brochure that listed different astrologers. Um, It was from NCGR in New York because my career didn't really take off until I had moved from, I was in Philadelphia and then moved to New York where there were more active astrologers. I didn't find many active astrologers in Philly, even though, you know, supposedly, I mean, I met one, but I didn't know many others in those one or two I met. Anyway, um, I, so I called up this one astrologer because I wanted to learn rectification and um, called him up and make a long story short, Ended up at his place. Julian Armistead is his name. Um, And went to his place in uh, Manhattan. And I was like, okay, well, you know, how many classes will this take or blah, blah, blah. And I thought maybe it could be in one class. And he said something very profound as he was asking me different questions about, you know, my knowledge of astrology. And he said, I don't know what you don't know. Right? And I was like, is there something how would you know that? What how would I know what I don't know? Then he talked about the NCGR certification process. So that's when I got involved in learning more about NCGR and, you know, went through the certification process and then, you know, subsequently now I've gone through the ESAR process. Um and so one thing that is important to me is astrological education and and certification, but not certification because You can't be an astrologer unless you're certified. I don't believe that. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's true. I think you can be. The benefit I see of certification is learning more of what you don't know. The problem that can happen when you are self-taught and you kind of pursue your own encounter with astrology from books. And now we have the web. When I was learning it, there was no web. Right, right. It was more so, even though it was the '90s. You know, I didn't get on the web until '96, '97. Well, actually '98, right? So I encountered astrology in in '90. So it was like eight years, and yeah, then wow. still, you know, didn't. So it was mainly me going to Borders or Barnes and Noble, um, picking up books there, or sitting with the books. Walk well, off well, there and having your coffee and whatever. But the problem with the web, and it's not just millennials, but there are a lot of millennials who've kind of learned it this way. The problem with the web is that you can't vouch for the quality of the material.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: So you don't know who's saying what or why um, along the spectrum of things. And then people are kind of thinking they have complete knowledge or they have like a feel or understanding of astrology, not recognizing, again, as Julian Armistead said, They don't know what they don't know.
0: Yeah. I I have found that one of the shortcomings of trying to be, find yourself self-taught through, I I mean, I always encourage people to buy, um, when someone asks, you know, how do I begin? I say like, go on eBay or Etsy and try to buy vintage astrology books because you're going to get astrologers who are writing for a different audience you're going to get astrologers who are writing with a very different rhetoric and language than, you know these people that are you know some of it is really good and then some of it is people who are basically just regurgitating what already exists on the internet in their own words to come up with you know to make their own website and it's derivative it's inaccurate it's piecemeal so first I say look at old books but then on top of that the issue is that then you get just a lot of information but how does it all fit together you know and how do you actually take all of this knowledge and create a cohesive chart experience from this so I'll find you know I, I find this in many different types of chart readings that I do with my clients but just recently I had a client who had a, you know, a five planet Sagittarius stellium. And she's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. Like, it's like, basically she, everything she would read, it would be like Mercury Sag has this Mars, Sag, this Venus, Sag, this sun, Sag, this, you know, and it's like, how do you, how do you delineate what's what, and how do you understand how each of these are coming to life. So then I was like, okay, we're going to do a dispositor technique, we're going to use these, uh, we're going to, we're going to try to unpack what this is. But without working with somebody who has those skills, and I'm not self taught, you know, I, I went through, I have had teachers for my entire astrological process. So I feel very privileged to have done so but I know that it's hard for people who are just getting started to know how to integrate their own self-taught. And a lot of astrology is, you know, self-directed it's for curious minds. Um, but then how to put that all together in a more formalized way, but you offer workshops on this, right? You have, this is,
1: yeah, I have classes, I have workshops, you know, I'm involved also, um, as a teacher and a board member for the International Academy of Astrology, ESAR, um, the International Society for Astrological Research, you know, a lot of my life now centers on public education and sharing and discussion of astrology on top of maintaining a practice, a private practice as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I, from my vantage, and maybe this is, maybe you'll say this isn't how I see it, um, there aren't that many reputable uh, certification examination programs. There's just a few. And those are expensive. They are time consuming. There's a lot of barriers to end. You have to take tests that are physical, at least right now. Um, There's some barriers to entry for people. So I do feel like it would be you know, I think that progress and innovation and making sure that we have, you know, new ways of gauging um, astrological literacy is important. But how would some of those new programs come to be while still maintaining the rigor that some of these more these older and more established institutions have?
1: The, the short answer is that these older established Institutions will have to evolve. So, I think, for instance, know I can speak with a lot more clarity and knowledge about what's happening with ESAR because I'm on the ESAR board. Um, and there's even another organization that's springing up from ESAR, which is still part of ESAR, called CAP ESAR. And CAP ESAR is in direct response to this need of evolution. It is mainly for certified astrological proficiencies and professionals for people who, you know, go through the process, but the process we recognize, especially in this COVID-19 moment will have to change. It will have to become more virtual. Um, so like you said, like, you know, the idea of doing in-person trainings and in-person examinations might be a thing of, you know, the, the you know, the uh, first part is the 21st century, right? Because we just, you know, it may not be safe to do that anymore. So I think that's one thing. So I think that's one particular change. I think how we also reach people um, is how we will have to change. So one of the things that ESAR has done, so is IAA, by hiring pretty much the same person, is that we have a Zillenio, you know, she is just 23, Alexis Duong, who is um, heading up, more of the marketing efforts in terms of social media and she's bring her own kind of flavor and um, positioning and way of doing things. So it's how we also do outreach in terms of that. And I think there's a good number, I think there's more than just a few, but comparably, and I get what you're saying, there aren't a lot. So, I mean, there's the Faculty for Astrological Studies in, in Britain, there's the Miles School of Astrology that relates also to certification. Um, AFA, the American Federation of Astrologers. The American Federation of Astrologers has a certification program. I mentioned ESAR, NCGR also has certification programs. So maybe there are about five or six in terms of where people can get certified, but there certainly be, could be more. I think the key question, OPA, you know, the Organization for Professional Astrologers, um, is also doing more certifications, but all of them will have to adjust in some way to do better outreach, and then compounded with that ways in which they can deal with accessibility. I think the other question becomes, speaking of old school, is what to kind of teach, right? I think that's kind of the the challenge. What I like about the NCGR certification program is that you have to learn how to do a chart by hand, right? You have to construct a chart, both in terms of the natal chart, progression, solar return, you have to learn how to do it all. And one of the things I'm grateful about with that training is that I understand more the astronomy and the math as the computer is doing it. Now, technically, do you need to know that? Need is a strong word. No, but I think it is very helpful, especially when you can spot when you may have inputted the data wrong. Or maybe there's something quirky in the program, which can happen. It happens less and less now, but still can happen. Yeah. So I think that's what the, the key thing is adaptation. I think a lot of these organizations related to your question are going to have to evolve. Yeah,
0: I think it's going to be really exciting and interesting to see that because, you know, I, I, was, um, I was talking to uh, Kira, who is now leading up the Fresh Voices in Astrology. Um, and Mm she's doing an amazing job and we are having sort of a, a corresponding conversation of like, how do you make this, the world of astrology internally more inclusive? How do you make it, um, how do you make it relevant in terms of the way that it's being taught? Who's teaching it? You know, who are the people who are speaking at conferences? How can we make sure that those people are reflective of, um, of really what the world of astrology should be, which is not, shouldn't just be reserved to a few sort of legacy voices. And then that obviously is also institutional, you know, like the institutions we need to see movement and transformation and adaptation in those so that it can be something that is, uh, that more people are able to utilize as a resource. I feel like, You know, I I feel so grateful for the way that I have been able to learn astrology because I began this process before astrology became as trendy as it is right now. So I have these long-standing relationships with teachers, and I was planning on taking the ESAR test in New York in the fall, but I. It was my best friend's wedding during the ethics portion. So I couldn't take it, you know, um, because it was one day and it was super disappointing. But because I work with my teachers and I work, you know, I work, I, before COVID, I would go to Ann Ortley's house two or three times a month. I basically had trained for the ESAR test for um, years, you know, so I have, I was using the material to... Inform my practice. But when I go on Twitter, and when I go on Instagram, and I see a lot of these people who are being called to astrology right now, and they're doing the work, and they're, they're having really good commentary, and I'm really proud of them. And then I see that they'll refer to the houses as signs you know and i'll see these sort of like oh no like (laughs) stop everything like you can't build on this this is it something went wrong something went wrong because astrology is it compounds you know your knowledge base is cumulative so i think that one of the things that's amazing about the programs and having you know study material is that you know that you're always sort of building on something and that that thing you built on was solid and when you're coming in and you're you know it's like we have some hellenistic astrology that's rolling through everyone's talking about zodiacal releasing and then we're looking at these minor aspects and then we're talking about sidereal astrology like all fabulous great you know pluto and Sag generation i love those guys they're so amazing but it's there's also um you know, there's also a process of of learning how to understand the steps so that we could put everything together. You know,
1: I, I totally agree. I think the, the the challenge going back to you know you got to learn what you, you don't know um, with folk to who can become influencer before influencers before they actually um, have learned more astrology. What I have found online is that there is always this positioning repositioning that happens with the idea of the old versus the new. Right. And which, you know, cause many of these, you know, influencers are putatively young. They're it could be in their twenties. They can be in their early thirties. Um, you know, sometimes even people who discover astrology later in life might have the same kind of feelings. And at this point in my life, I think, we have to kind of deal with the fusion of the old and new, but I think, um, astrology as a unique path of knowledge than many other paths really has to kind of figure out on what ground does it construct itself. Right. And what I mean by that is that, for instance, let's start with something, you know, that sometimes is controversial, talking about rulerships. So. Um, in the 20th century, we introduced more of the idea or became more cemented, the outer planets now, as we call them, Pluto, Neptune, Uranus. We also made them rulers of signs, And so that became like more staple, especially for those who came into astrology like me um, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, that Uranus is also the, or is the ruler for Aquarius because that's the new thing. Whereas the traditional conception of rulership wasn't based on affinity. Saturn wasn't the ruler of Aquarius because he was like Aquarius. It was based on geometry. And it was based on the geometry of speed and time, you know, as, you know, from a particular set of points, Cancer and Leo, moon and sun, as king, or I should say queen and king of heaven. And so when you look at that, you see that it was more geometrical and mathematical construct, there's a, a rationale, there's a reasoning. So when I talk about that, you know, sometimes these newer astrologers be like, well, you're just beholden to, you know, the old, and they're like, you're just like listening to these old white men, you know, from who've died, not recognizing that really it's like, no, I fell in love with the logic because I never... I never got the logic of, you know, when I would read these things and say, like, well, Mars is exalted in Capricorn. Why? <laughs> like, how does this work? And I think that's kind of the key thing to for astrologers to start also thinking about, you know, because then the argument becomes, like, well, Pluto just works as Scorpio. I'm like, it just works. And I'm like, Sure, as the ruler of Scorpio. Have you tried it as the ruler of Gemini? And how do you know? Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of questions because other people like will say, like Chiron should be the ruler of Virgo or um, it should be Ceres. You know, it's kind of like, well, how do we balance this creativity with tradition?
0: Right, right.
1: Absolutely. All these other questions.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that's why it's important to know what you're talking about. As <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it, it's like, I, um it's kind of like when you are pursuing, you know, a, a fine arts degree, right? Like you might be an incredibly skilled, you might have been sketching since the time you were a, a little itty bitty baby. But when you get into a program, you're still going to need to do your first year is still going to be like, you know, what do you see? let's do, let's get to the foundations. Let's work with charcoal. Let's sketch. Let's, you know, look at the masters. Let's like understand sort of how art works. And then let's start, you know, doing performance art where we stand in a driveway, you know, for six hours, but there's no reason to do that. Or it's really hard to have the, the rhetoric to be able to communicate a creative decision especially a disruptive creative decision if you don't know what you're disrupting in the first place you know that's correct i i I also i'm I'm with you on the geometry of it the geometry of astrology is extraordinarily important and i think that it for so many people who are like but why it really it just
1: it's just about the numbers you know yeah it's like it's like internal coding i mean you created the program and so you know like You know, even though you may have not been doing the programming, there's an internal logic. Um, We talk about this in terms of branding, right? That there's a, a, a consistency, both in terms of the font you use or the kind of look and feel. You know, it's the same thing in terms of how we talk about a culture. Even though cultures might be an amalgam of different things, there is something that is the thread that runs throughout it. And the most consistent thing in astrology is geometry you know, in terms of beholding the the form. That's what's beautiful about it. And I think some people are not in touch with that internal consistency. That's not to say that we can't make room for new things, speaking of new things. Like, you know, I think this is where we have to start getting creative in terms of how we talk about the quote-unquote outers because the other thing to acknowledge is that they're ballooning. You know, it, it was different just to like, oh, we found Pluto, but like Pluto isn't even the biggest of the dwarf planets, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. he, you know, comparable to Ceres, for example, or to, I mean, Ceres is not the biggest, but still, you know, it's like she was first. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's, of course, the other Kuiper Belt objects that we're discovering that are bigger than Pluto. So I think as we're discovering new things, how do we make room for things? I guess that also goes to the other thing that I think you're going to ask me about is talk about inclusion. yeah astrology is expanding. And like I said, the organizations, the organizations, this is what people may not know because people have the conceptions of the organizations. They're holding astrology back, blah, blah, blah. Some of that is true. What's also true is that the organizations have been instrumental in also building community and keeping astrology alive, right? AFA, ESAR, NCGR. The reason why more people are encouraged to have books and that there's more of a market Is because they've cultivated the idea of getting people together over consistent periods of time before we had the Internet, before we could, you know, do all these other things. So that's something that people should at least appreciate. The challenges with organizations, especially as I have found coming as an outsider, because how I got really involved more so. So I was in, you know, in New York. And I wanted to get more involved in NCGR and be invited to speak. You know, I was like, okay, I've gotten three levels of certification. Can I be a speaker? Not realizing, I mean, not real. Well, of course, realizing that there are four levels of certification. And I hadn't gotten to fourth level. But I was like, okay, that's a formality somewhat. You know, not everyone who's speaking has, you know, even level three. Well, they were like, well, you know, you have to go through these channels, blah, blah, blah. Well, typical Moon and Leo Scorpio issue. I was like, you know what? The next time that I'm going to be speaking, you're going to come to me. I'm going to build a platform, somewhat, you know, broad enough that it's going to get your attention and you're going to come to me. I love it. Right. And they did. Right. So Esar, NCGR, they're like, oh, you have X number of followers. We want to have more influence and, you know, diversity in the community. So in, in communities, you know, how do we do that? We want to include you. Like, okay, cool. And as I got in, you know, especially with ESAR and seeing the back room of how things happen, a lot of times people would rely on who they knew. So it was a lot about who they know um, and who they know who knows someone else. So if you've ever wondered, like, well, how did they come up with this lineup? Because they know them. They don't know you, right? Now, you might say like, well, that's really unfair. It's like, you know, broaden the the ways in which they get to know. Well, that's kind of what organizations are starting to do more now, because, you know, people like me, Demetrius Bagley, would bring up these issues. Um, Margaret Gray. Um, and it wasn't just in terms of questions from people of color. It was also in terms of, especially over the last 10 years, it was also sexual diversity. And not just sex in terms of gender preference, but even gender. So it became evident that there weren't enough women on boards. It became evident that there weren't enough women speakers at these conferences. Right. You know, the thing that I always want to point out, not even in, a, in an article that was published by um, Inside Book of men's online men's magazine. You know, people like to say, oh, well, astrology really just preys on women. Well, for most of its history, it was mainly men right. who participated in astrology, both as the astrologers and the benefactors um, and clients of astrology. So I don't know what they're talking about. And now, if you look at you know, the books that have been published and you look at who's on the, the dais for different conferences, it's still a lot of men, right? So the the questions and challenges of diversity are still broad and necessary in, in astrology, in, in the community. I think some of those are being met, but it's going to require some measure of initiatives. You know, so one person who's led the charge in this particular way is Laura uh, uh, out in Seattle with NORWAC. Um, Thanks to another astrologer who you may or may not know, Nicholas Palomenacos. I call him like Hermes incarnate, Hermes tripogestus, or I call him psychopomp too. Um, he She was talking to him about wanting to have more inclusivity at Norwalk, And she said, well, I know someone you could talk to. And then um, he patched me up with her. And we had this conversation. She wanted to offer a scholarship and wanted to offer more diversity scholarships. Now, I have been working on trying to do more diversity with ESAR, but I got a good amount of pushback, especially from one conservative board member who's like, let things happen organically, right? You know, we shouldn't, you know, no one's barring people from coming to our conferences and our classes, you know, they're keeping themselves out, you know, in terms of talking about black people or whoever. And I was like, that's, but we're also not inviting them. Well, Laura set up the idea of inviting them and this ballooning that we're seeing, I think she's contributed largely to it because like a Shakira, like a Diana Harper, um, like a Bear River All these people, if you look at their dossiers and you look at like what they've been, or even Colin Bettle, um, if you look at them, uh, Chartreuse, Mecca Woods, Janelle, Belgrave, you'll see that many of them, they didn't have their start at Norwalk, but they came through Norwalk either as a diversity scholarship fellow or by attending Norwalk. And something happens that's transformative at a, at a conference. One, you're surrounded by people who are speaking your language. Two, so I'm really looking forward to in-person conferences when we can have them again. Um, people who can speak your language. Then the other thing that's also happening that I think it's huge, especially for astrologers of color, is that when you're around like a Rob Han and you just have a casual conversation with like a Demetri George or even just like a, a Kelly Surtees, and you're like, wait. I can hold my own. I'm not such a slouch. I can do more. It it changes you. you. You realize like you can have the same quote unquote legitimacy as anyone else who has it. Right. And I think that's an important transformation that encourages more diversity. And what happens, contrary to what one colleague said to me, is that when people come through like the scholarship, they bring other people. And they may even come to the conference more on their own, or as what's happening, many of them end up speakers, you know, like Diana Harper now is a speaker. Um, Chartreuse was a speaker at NORWAC. So there are ways in which these transformations happen that start broadening the circle. Mm -hmm. So now NORWAC was one of the biggest attended conferences. It's no longer a regional conference, what what we used to call a regional conference, which would have 300 to 500 people. Last year, in 2019, it had about 500 people. Um, And this is just like for a region, Northwest. That's what it stands for, the Northwest Astrology Conference, NORWAC, right? Then online, because it went online this year, it had to. It was 900 people in terms of its blossoming. I'm going to put it out there. NCGR, a national organization with also international ties, their conference had 300-some people in Baltimore not shaming them, but I'm looking at the (laughs) math, right? So we have to recognize that it is going to be important for these organizations to be sharper with their outreach and realize that to survive, they're going to have to have different kinds of people.
0: Yes, absolutely. And
1: I know that was a long portion. No, no, no.
0: I'm very passionate about that. I, I, I think that it's really important. I know, I mean, the listeners of this podcast are interested in astrology. And a lot of the messages that I receive, not just in response to this podcast, but just, you know, throughout the different channels is how can I learn more? How can I legitimize my practice? What is legitimizing my practice? What does that entail? And Um, I think that having, you know, the, the insight and the wisdom that you're offering us from sort of while being able to sort of be in and looking out is really helpful because it gives perspective on, you know, what the organizations are doing, what the institutions are doing, and then how we can also participate to make sure that we're sending the feedback that like, yes, we love it. Like (laughs) we co-sign, we want to participate, um, This is not going to be the first time that I've admitted on this, my own podcast that I've never attended an in-person conference because I've been paralyzingly afraid. Um, I've been, I have, I, I don't know if it was when I started astrology, if it was some early trauma experiences coming in with some older astrologers being very mean to me. Um, sort of like reducing my work to pop astrology, which I'm starting to now reclaim and be like, fuck you. There's nothing wrong with that either. For you. you know, I have Scorpio conjunct, Scorpio, Pluto conjunct my midheaven. I'm a Capricorn rising, eighth house stellium. Respect is so important to me, you know, for me to be taken seriously. So that like early pop astrology sure. reduction thing really left a scar. And it's been, uh, you know, I'm, again, as I said, like, I don't, now I'm in my 30s, I don't care as much, because that's what happens after your Saturn return. But at the same time, it really did create this sort of invisible boundary for me, where when it comes to astrology conferences, I get really nervous that I'm going to have these sort of like, middle school esque experiences where I feel like I'm, you know, in the wrong place, that I'm not good enough, that I'm like, you know, people are whispering about me. It's it's a thing. It's a personal thing. I'm working through it. But I also know that if I'm feeling that way, I can't be alone. I know that there are other people who feel that way too.
1: And I'm glad you you addressed that. So what I would say, you know, one of the benefits of the quote unquote idea of the regional conference, and there were a few. So there used to be one called the State of the Art conference hosted by Dana Donna Van Toen who um in Buffalo. Yeah, she's amazing. Um,
0: she uh, she was I I was in touch with her right quite a lot, yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, she So we amazing. lost her and then we lost the conference. Um there's the Great Lake Great Lakes Astro- Astrology Conference. Um so there's that one but so the the benefit of regional conferences was more about the ratio was more about the number of people who came who were astrology aficionados versus the people who are speakers and you could be more in touch with the community. We're smaller, right? NORWAC is now one of the bigger ones. But what I love about NORWAC, and it is my favorite conference by far um, is that it's open to so many different ranges of astrology and it is not, conducted by an org, so there are a lot of benefits to that and laura actually inherited the conference from her mother so laura still acts as a mother bear so there is no tolerance of intolerance
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right so for someone like you even you right um when i say even you meaning like i'm encouraging you to, to go to that one um is that you would be welcomed there, I imagine, by everybody, including the speakers, because in my experience um you know being there like now six years, it generally creates this very cool, warm vibe in terms of everyone having a sense of belonging um and at the same time not privileging the speakers so much above attendees you know there's more interaction um there's been a little more intimacy in the sense of you know connection so i think that because that vibe and just to kind of you know you are clear that you know i'm right that vibe can happen right you know when you have older astrologers or more seasoned astrologers who might say like um who might poo poo you know quote-unquote pop astrology and i'm glad you're beyond that i mean I get in touch with my, you know, inner asshole, which might be my Moon and Leo. I don't know, and you know, if they they don't say things like that to me anymore, or they don't say that anymore. Period. Um, but when people have veered toward that, I have no problems yanking their wig. I'm like, wait, don't you have another job? Right? You have another job, right? You're not a full time astrologer, right? I love it. So, or or people. Or people will say like, wait, you do astrology, blah, blah, blah. You hate pop astrology. How did you get into astrology? Was it just like someone talking to you about a Mars Neptune trine? No. Oh, wait. Right. It was oh, you the read it in a yeah. horoscope. <laughs> right? You read it in a horoscope. It's a great gateway drug for all of us. The other thing I will say, and also be direct, either you know they're retired or they're reliant on a partner's income. Or I'll be like, okay, you're doing full-time astrology. You hate pop astrology you're you know, complaining about marketing and not getting enough people, you're broke, right? Maybe if you talk t- to people where they are, which is in the lobby, right, which is more what we call pop astrology, the very tall skyscraper, literally, maybe you might get more people. So, yeah, I don't tolerate that because I think we can walk and chew gum. I think, you know, I can do pop astrology. I do a lot of signology on, on Twitter. You know, I'm talking about different signs all the time, but I can also write a research paper. Right. You know, so I think this this mindset that some older astrologers have that, you know, it only has to be, you know, serious astrology, I think, is limited. You know, you're in a cocoon, you know, and it's fun too. I it's mean, fun, that's yeah.
0: And our Leos appreciate that.
1: Right. You know, it's like, you know, getting heavy all the time and even then. You know, one of the things, you know, wigs I love to snatch too is when astrologers like to, you know, talk about their heaviness. I'm, you know, as this is where I also wanted to say, I haven't lost my skepticism. My skepticism is just not reserved for trying to, to disprove astrology. Yes. But it is very, still much focused on being attentive to how astrology comments on itself or shapes itself or thinks about itself or even presents itself yes and so one of the things that i am also attentive to is when astrologers say like well i don't do pop astrology or sun sign is this blah 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 or it's denigrating to the art you know i'll go and say like okay so i read your your recent blog post where you talk about you know mars and aries doing this in terms of the world right okay so you had very good examples related to in europe and you mentioned the United States and all. That's great. What about Africa? Right. Let's talk about India. Did you look at it in China? Does it work everywhere? Right. Right? So it doesn't actually, right? <laughs> right? It doesn't seem to consistently have the same markers everywhere. So when we talk about these things, we are talking about them in a particular cultural milieu, right, in terms of how we frame these things and how they seem to operate. And that's very important. Because if you're going to denigrate and talk about quote unquote sun sign astrology and pop astrology, and then make these you know more broad spectrum remarks about well when this planet goes into this sign and does this blah, blah blah blah, we recognize that we're also talking about an idea of a collective that may not be necessarily global. Right. Right. Right.
0: And like, who's to define the collective? Like, correct. How do, how does one, like when we say, when, whenever we speak of the collective, we have to, we are not this omniscient, like satellite who just can, uh, with no, with pure objectivity weigh in on the collective. Like, no, the collective that you are perceiving is through an individual perspective. It's through your rising, you know, it's through your eyes. It's like your, maybe it's your version of the collective, but that's not how other people may perceive the collective. Correct. We can maybe find some commonality, some shared language, but as soon as we go past just a couple of keywords, it becomes very clear that the collective consciousness is really just, you know, the individual's consciousness projected on the collective spirit, you know? (laughs) That's correct. (laughs) Which is fine, but we just got to call it like it is, you know?
1: Right. So when people poo poo like sun sign astrology, it's like, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm talking about Leos for this month blah 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 like well that's not all leos well yeah it's not going to be not all people from mars and aries right you know and talking about the mars pluto square right so i think it's important to you know have more not just accurate conversations fair conversations related to how we discuss you know the future of astrology you know i guess that's what we've been talking about a lot during this conversation is fairness and openness how astrology can be those things and be more of those things
0: i love it well sam thank you so much for joining me today it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and chatting with you where can we find you
1: so they can find people can find me a few different ways uh my website is unlockastrology.com all one word and they can write me at unlockastrology at gmail.com if they want to follow me on social media the easiest is on Twitter and Instagram, which is S, F as in Fred Reynolds. So it's at SF Reynolds, both on Instagram and Twitter. And that's pretty much it. I'm on Facebook, but you would have to look up Ebony Skywalker. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, cool. Not so, Ebony Skywalker, not Walker. So right? our, I'm not so trying our, to be a Jedi.
0: Our Scorpio, our Scorpio listeners will definitely start digging around on Facebook.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Ebony Skywalker. Talker. Yeah. Um, so that's my... Uh, Facebook page, but I'm more active on, you know, in live on Twitter for sure.
0: Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sam.
1: Thank you for having me. This was fun. This was really fun.